Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, Stephen Arnold from the Aorus International Fund is back, and we're talking about a company called Jack Henry & Associates, which trades on the NASDAQ stock exchange under the ticket symbol JKHY. Jack Henry might not be a name that you've heard of before, but I think it's a pretty impressive, smaller software business in the USA. In the next 20 minutes or so, Stephen takes us through his pitch, including some of the risks, the upside, what the business does, and I throw a few questions back at him. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Head to the Rask Australia website where you can send me a message or an email and suggest future guests, topics, companies, or ideas. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. 
Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for having me again. Um, we've done another episode just like this one that we're about to do um, on Accenture. Um, so if, you, if you're listening to this, you can go back and, and listen to the previous episode with Stephen. Um, we also did one earlier on last year, uh, 2019. We talked about um, the AORS business, um, about you and your journey and, and why you started the International Fund. Um, I've got to ask, it's been a couple of years now. How have you, how have you found the journey so far with starting your own business and, and all of that? Oh, that's a, it's a long, deep question, Owen. Um, look, it's very exciting. It's, it's not often in life you get a blank canvas and you can create something you know, from scratch. Uh, so we built a, an investment team of and great minds um, and you know, other people in the business that were in, interact with our clients. And so build, building a team of people um, is one part of it. Um, in, in defining how you communicate uh, with interested people, try, trying to stand out um, mm. and also... You know, always trying to get better and work very hard to you know, think about what we're doing in, in every facet of what we do and how we can little by little make improvements in our process and hopefully that'll generate you know, good results going forward um, but it's like it's uh, it's hard work but it's exciting and hopefully we're at an early stage of a long uh, fruitful journey mm, it seems to be fruitful um, for your investors so far so so far so good um, for those people who may be maybe new to you in the business um, I know that the International Fund is runs. It's a concentrated fund. Invests in in businesses typically with really wide moats and, and strong competitive advantages, and you tend to hold them for a long time. Um, there is one thing that um, bef- that I want to get to before we talk about the before we talk about the company, which is Jack Henry and Associates. Um, there's, a, there's a quote here that that you wrote not so long ago, and I'm hoping you can expand on it for our listeners. And, I, and I'll just read it off here. It says we have a constructive view of our ability to achieve after fee returns for our investors of 8 to 12% per annum over a five to seven year market cycle. Then you go on to say, we expect the value of these businesses to rise at an attractive rate over the coming years. And it is this corporate wealth creation that will generate the bulk of our 8 to 12% per annum investment return we seek to achieve. We expect that owning these businesses at some discount to what they are worth or the value part will make an additional but smaller contribution to our returns, end quote. Can you explain what you mean there? Because I thought I shared that with my team and I thought that was a really concise way to describe long-term investing in really good businesses. Uh, oh, great. Look, I, I, it's, it is the, look, the essence of at least how we go about investing. And look, when you think about where, where, where are the world's great fortunes being created, it's through the wealth creation of great businesses. Um, and I think that's been far more the case and you know, people who got next quarter's GDP right, um, or people who picked at picked political outcomes, or bet on the bet on the gold price. You know, um, great businesses have been, I think, the world's greatest source of wealth creation. So for us, as a owning a portfolio of businesses, and, and that's all we do, we own businesses, um, and that's how we think we're business owners. Uh, as those businesses become progressively more valuable over time, well, we're participants in that. Uh, it's really very simple, common sense investing. Uh, so in the same way that you know, someone might own a property that five years ago was worth less than it is today and they've been uh, beneficiaries of that property becoming more valuable, um, we're participants of great businesses. We talked last time about Accenture. We feel very confident that we can validate the business is worth more than it was one, three and five years ago and, and will continue to be worth more. And if we can be participants on that and they don't have to be growing in value at heroic rates, um, you know, a, a six, seven, eight percent is absolutely fine, and we can, and that comes from being able to grow their earnings. 
as they distribute some of those earnings to us as dividends, and that's the, and another additional part. Um, and then the price we own it at, you know, that's, that's also important, but it's not the primary determinant. Um, if we can own them at 15% um, less than they're worth, and some, for some in our portfolio, it's a bit, uh, discount's a bit wider than that, some it's a bit smaller. Um, but as that discount closes over five years, we think that'll add another you know, two or three percent. But you can see that that's the small, that's a small part. And then mm -hmm. prices are five percent higher or lower, it's going to make a small difference to our you know, longer term outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, the key is that you know, can we own these businesses and participate in their upwards journey of wealth creation and get most of those decisions right? Um, and if, if, we, if we do, then we can uh, you know, create good returns for our clients over time in a, uh, in a low-risk fashion. Yeah, you mentioned um, heroic returns there and, and not necessarily going out seeking that. I think that's a, a really good way to frame it if you are looking to compound your wealth over a long time, which you are. Um, let's just focus on those businesses that can do that year in, year out. Um, the, speaking of, I think we might have found one uh, for today's episode. And the company we're talking about is Jack Henry & Associates. It trades on the NASDAQ. Um, JKHY, I believe is the ticket code. Um, this is a business, compared to Accenture, this is a business which is about one-tenth the size if we think about market cap. So many people will know Accenture, but Jack Henry and Associates, it's kind of this sleeper and it's a bit smaller, um, but its track record is arguably as impressive. So a lot of our listeners will be keen to know about this business. It's right in my wheelhouse of businesses too. So I'll hand it over to you, Stephen. Just tell us a bit about the history and what it does. Oh, great. Well, there's so many things to bring to life with Jack, Jack Henry, so I'm pretty excited about the conversation we're about to have. Um, so let's, let's talk about you know, what they do. And you know, they've been in business for more than four decades, so they're not new. Um, it has a, a revenue of about a bit less than $2 billion and a market valuation of about 20. Uh, so Jack Henry uh, provides the software that runs banks and credit unions, uh, typically smaller banks in the US, and we can really bucket what they do into three, three parts. Um, and uh, they describe the first of those buckets, and it's really a third, a third, a third. Uh, first of those is core account processing, which means the, um, the ledger that records um, loans and deposits and the transactions in those deposit accounts and loan accounts, really the basic plumbing and record keeping for banks. Uh, that's the first one. Um, the second is a whole lot of software that goes around the core, and there's about 100 different modules or solutions that Jack Henry sell. Some of them things like cybersecurity, some of them uh, uh, know your client and, and document capture and image capture. Um, some of them are loan approval software. So the whole lot of things that we can do in addition to the core. And then the third of those three buckets is payment processing. So when people get, get excited about MasterCard and Visa card, well, you know, within this, every time there's a transaction on a card, the bank has to record that as well. And Jack Henry generates about a third of its earnings from debit and credit card processing. Mm. Those are the three buckets. And the, one of the features of this business is that um, banks don't like to change this stuff very often because it can be disruptive. So they have a customer retention rate in north of 98%, uh, which is quite special. Mm. I, heard the, I heard the core banking uh, business segment, if you like, and, and solution that it provides would be akin to the human body and someone's heart. In the banking system, it's kind of, you can't take it out because it does everything. Is that, I guess, is that a fair analogy? Oh yeah, that's a, it's a wonderful analogy. Um, and the, the, the very largest banks have traditionally built this stuff themselves, but 
you know, they're, they're probably less inclined to going forward because um, why, why employ you know, thousands and thousands of IT people um, when we can outsource it? So Jack Henry's focus is not those very large banks. It's the thousands and thousands of banks that have a, uh, a balance sheet of up to, say, you know, 50 billion, so typically local and community banks and also credit unions. Um, but it, in, the, in the US, all of those financial institutions have, in fact, outsourced um, this stuff. There's no more new outsourcing opportunities for that core. But a lot of the those banks run on core systems that you know, were built a long time ago um, that are no longer competitively supported. And they become a more and more of a, you know, a, a friction for banks. It takes me a long time to create a new credit card pro product because my core account pro um, software was built in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes a, um, an obstruction to them operating efficiently. Um, so as, as they, they turn to uh, who can give me a better solution, Jack Henry's got an absolutely formidable win rate. Um, they, you know, on the credit union side of their business, here's an interesting statistic, they have 640 customers. Uh, in the last 40 years, they've lost 18. Hmm. Um, and, wow. they've won, and they've won lots. Um, so they do a great job. And like we were talking about Accenture last week, that comes, you know, that creates good organic growth on winning new customers. And there's a lot more that the solutions that they can provide to all of those customers. And so the ability to do more is an additional source of growth in a, in, on, on top of just winning more banks, which they've got a fantastic record of doing. Mm. Could, I think maybe you can just clear something up for us here, Stephen. Um, and maybe just describe the banking landscape in the US versus here in Australia. Because traditionally here in Australia, you know, we've got the big four and then, you know, a few regional banks. But over there, it's obviously quite different. Um, well, the, the US banking system is quite different from Australia. We have you know, four big banks here uh, and a few smaller ones, some of which, in fact, are, in, are owned by the big guys. Um, we don't have the municipal, the cooperative banks, the credit unions uh, that we find in, in other countries, including the US. So there's lots of credit unions in the US and, and they, they operate in a very small, you know, perhaps a municipality. And there's a, uh, lots and lots of state-based and, uh, and, and local banks, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Um, and over time, there's been consolidation among those smaller banks uh, for, for good reasons. Uh, an interesting feature for Jack Henry, though, is that the consolidation uh, doesn't affect them in the way that you might think. Uh, you, you might think, well, two banks getting together to make one bank means that uh, for Jack Henry, two customers become one. But Jack Henry gets paid based on the number of accounts and the number of customers that that bank has. And so the consolidation is, not, is, is a revenue neutral event for Jack Henry. Yeah, right. How about then when it comes to, I guess, um, internal growth? So sometimes when we, we talk about businesses with uh, wide modes and competitive advantages, we often use the term sticky to say that customers hang around for a long time. But sometimes companies are so sticky that uh, getting new clients, you've said, you mentioned getting some on board, you know, so we're seeing consolidation. So um, you know, maybe the industry in the terms of the number isn't growing at an extraordinary rate. But I'm led to believe that Jack Henry is investing a lot of its own capital back into the business to bring new solutions to existing clients. Yeah, well, if you like, the the number of banks may not be growing, but their needs are growing. And that's where Jack Henry can remain relevant and and grow its revenue with those banks. And, and they spend about 13% of revenue on R&D to continue to invest in their products and create new solutions. Uh, and that is when we think about organic growth has mean that 
um, you know, their organic growth has been much like Accenture, about twice the rate of nominal GDP in that order of you know, six, you know, more, more like seven or eight percent over many, many years. In fact, accelerating in the last couple of years. So where does that come from? Well, um, uh, really a, a couple of big buckets. One is that um, a lot of customers who've got this software on premise, um, they, um, they don't want it on premise anymore, particularly mm -hmm. interestingly during COVID. Uh, banks are averse to sending people into data centers um, on the weekend to update you know, security or find problems, if you like. And, and regulators are also wary of banks with their own data centers. And so there's a, a shift towards asking to getting Jack Henry, will you host this product for us? Same software, but we're going to take it from our data, data centers to yours. And so what happens when um, that shift occurs, and it's, it's um, about two thirds of Jack Henry's customers are already uh, using Jack Henry's hosted solution. And there's a long runway for that to continue is that their spend on Jack Henry's products doubles. So why does that happen? Well, um, when you go from a big license sale that I might have to write a new check for every seven years to a, uh, a subscription annuity model, then it goes from a CapEx item that I might need my CFO to approve to just a, a monthly budget item. Um, so the, the scope for the bank to spend a lot more with Jack Henry goes up and the approval process is not quite the roadblock that it can be. Um, and it's a lot easier for Jack Henry to layer in and to sell um, many of these other hundred solutions that they've got for the bank. Um, and they also, of course, charge the bank for you know, the, the hosting and, and all the care and attention that Jack Henry provides when it res resides in their, their data center. So that's one source of growth is that transition to, to the cloud, to Jack Henry's cloud and the ability to sell lots of other products. And then when we think about, well, yeah, the bank's needs are changing and they're changing rapidly. A good example of that is digital banking. Now, um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I never get excited about going to a bank, um, particularly in the current environment and going and queuing in, in a bank is even less appealing. So the need to do online digital banking is going up you know, rapidly and I don't want to just check my account Maybe I want to have take out a new account. And how can I do that without going into the, the identification process, putting wet, wet signatures on an application forms? What if I want to cancel my credit card? Maybe I've moved state. Maybe I've got a new job. Um, so banks have got to enable their customers to do all of this stuff um, electronically. And Jack Henry has got you know, the, the, one of the market-leading solutions in the US, and they call Bano, um, that allow their customers to do all of these things. And it matters a lot for the small community banks because they might have thought, well, I'm not as big as a um, Bank of America or a JP Morgan Chase. I'm a little community bank, but my competitive advantage is I know my customers' names and when they come in, I give them a whole hello, but they're not coming anymore. They want to do their digital banking. So how can I create a digital banking that looks as good as what Chase or Bank of America has got and has the personal touch that really defines me as a bank? Um, so that's growth in digital banking is a, a big market, a, a rapidly growing one that Jack Henry's benefiting from. Stephen, we, we hear in Australia, um, it's quite, quite often lately, this idea of a neobank and these capital light, quote unquote, businesses, which are starting up in the, in the banking sector. How does Jack Henry, I guess, um, fare against that type of competitive threat? Well, the, the growth of neobanks is driving the need for a lot of their bank customers to come up with digital banking solutions, uh, and that's accelerating their adoption of you know, these digital you know, banking software that Jack Henry provides, and so that's a great driver. 
um, you know, banks you know, a few years ago might have thought that you know, we can just take our time on this. Uh, they know that they've got to step on the gas and come up with very good competitive offerings. Maybe if I could just throw, throw in on just a separate comment. So when we think about you know, um, the software businesses that we've got all these opportunities to invest in overseas, one of the features about Jack Henry that we really like is the barriers to entry in this market are enormous. Mm. If you're a new entrant into the bank software market, uh, it's almost impossible for you to displace an existing competitor because you have to, the, the risk of failure, the risk of a problem going wrong is catastrophic. And so the reputation that they've built over decades uh, and their ability to continue to come up with new solutions um, and as evidenced by their continued growth in market share, it makes this you know, a formidable business. Um, and uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a business where the barriers to entry are an enormous advantage. So one of the things that I, I know about the banking industry is there's a great deal of risk when it comes to things like fraud. We know that you know if, the, if you lose some money or the bank loses your money, it's it's them that is on the hook instead of you. So I'm interested to get your thoughts there around the risk piece, but also around how you think about I guess the ability of the bank to um, encourage its customers to be fast followers and to you know encourage their customers to. Um, embrace the technology that someone else has got. Do you see the cross-sell, is what I'm saying, to be a big opportunity going forward? Yeah, yeah I, I think the need for um, well, the cross-selling opportunity driven by digital banking and driven by the, the ability or the, the need for the IT infrastructure to go from a liability, if you like, that slows processes down to an enabler and mm. take costs out, make new product creation, I mean, to make all the regulatory compliance easier, uh, more fluid, I think is a is driving the need for Jack Henry software at an accelerating rate. Um, so I don't think they've got to quite go out and and sell the banks. I think the banks are hearing it loud and clear from their own customers the, the need for this. Um, you mentioned on the security and and mm-hmm. the loss side. Look, that's another important area. Um, one of our other portfolio companies, Experian, the credit bureau, plays very directly into that. How do banks make better credit decisions? How do they recognise? Uh, losses and risky, uh, you know, particularly right now when there are uh, re- repayment um, uh, repayments being missed. How do they make decisions about whether to call in the loan or or for uh, forbearance? Uh, so for Jack Henry, you know, the software that they provide is also um, important in the loan origination process, um, the loan processing, the risk identification, all of those mm-hmm. uh, decision engines to Im- mitigate losses. So I guess here's an interesting way to invert this kind of this investment um, thesis is what would make you sell a business like this? Well, I think we would we'd want to see um, either, either competitive slippage or, or slippage in relevance. Um, so are they losing market share? Is there very, very high customer retention at risk of going south? Um, is there customer satisfaction going south? And... Um, what, one of the things we haven't touched on yet is, look, it's a really key, key part of the business is their corporate culture. In fact, when we met with the CEO a year or two ago, he gave us his business card and on the reverse side, it says um, two things. It says, do what it takes and do the right thing and do whatever it takes. That's mm-hmm. a key message. And so it's a um, the way to interpret that. It's firstly, it's an, it's an employee first mantra. Uh, we want to have employees. And then happy employees will create happy customers. And they have by far the happiest customers in their industry. And they really, it's a defining feature of the business is 
high customer satisfaction, which creates retention. Now, if we were to see evidence of that slipping, um, then that will be another warning sign. Um, they're voted one of the best, not only best companies in America to work for, but one of the best IT companies to work for. So if we saw that you know, slipping, that would be like a warning sign that you know, some of the foundations of what makes the business special are being um, undermined and eroded. Um, if we saw you know, t t two of their most direct competitors have each in the last couple of years made very, very large acquisitions, these transformational acquisitions. Um, I think, you know, Jack, we've we like Jack Henry because they've been true to mission. Um, I think if we were, they were to divert and feel like oh, we're missing out on all the fun, um, we need to do one of these big acquisitions too. Uh, we feel very uncomfortable about that. Um, so we like them sticking to their knitting and growing, uh, focusing on creating new solutions, happy customers, um, any you know, evidence of slippage in any of those areas would be a warning sign. Mm. If we flip the coin, where else would we sell? Well, price would be one of them. Uh, right now, we feel very good about price and um, we'll be participating in the wealth creation of a wonderful business where you know, the risk characteristics that business is low, long duration customer relationships, the ability to grow. So, um, but if the price was up a lot, uh, in a short period of time, that would bring into question, you know, is it a great business but no longer at an attractive price? It's one of those businesses where, and I know it's a crude way to look at it, but I just, to get a sense of a business that's been around for so long, you know, um, Ben Graham said, said that, you know, in the long run, the business is a weighing machine. If you look back so long in its history, in Jack Henry's history, just the look at the share price, you just see that, the I guess, the the beauty of compound interest when a business can just compound each and every year. Um, it's also very conservatively geared, which I thought was an interesting um, angle on it because a business that is so um, so reliable, you think you could gear, gear that balance sheet up, right? Yeah, you raised an interesting point. Like I think their customers want to know that they're dealing with an organisation that will be around uh, for a long time and you know, mm. the the financial robustness of the business is never in question. Um, so that's a real asset. Now, if it comes at a cost, that they could uh, take a lot of debt on the balance sheet, make an acquisition or buy a lot of shares, but they've chosen to operate conservatively. Uh, but I think that the, that's a net positive. It, it gives their customers comfort. Um, so, yeah, and I think also like in, in times like 2020, it's natural for people's you know, sense of time to become compressed. Mm -hmm. It does take an active effort to go, look, you know, we, we own a business that's been around you know, a lot of decades. The value of the business today is easily forgotten. Is, uh, it captures all of its earnings and value creation in decades and years into the future. How do we feel about that today? And is this a business that's built to continue to become more valuable? And 2020 for every business is going to bring its opportunities and challenges but does that really materially change how we think about the long-term journey of this business and, and what it's worth today? And here's a business you know, like Accenture where you know, the externalities that we were all aware of in 2020 is not destabilising the business. It's not moving them off that attractive path. It's giving them new things to sell, new, new ways to be relevant to their customers. It's producing challenges. It's hard to get in front of their customers and, and pitch. It's the software when they implement their software that they might have got on a plane and gone somewhere and done it in person, physically. Now they've got to work out ways which they've done of well, actually we're going to do all this stuff remotely. So it brings its sets of challenges. But as you said, um, we own long duration assets here and we've got to think about, you know, we can look back in the rear view mirror and a very attractive long-term history. And are we confident that the business is on a path that you know, projects a continuation of that very long-term history? 
Mm. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating, I'll say little business because it's, it's probably little by U S standards to an extent, but um, I guess by Australian standards, it's actually a very large business. Um, I know that people can go to your website, Stephen, and find out more about, about the business. We'll put links in the show notes um, and they can, can keep up to date with all of the, your, your latest, um, I guess, research and, and coverage. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you before we go is when you think about a business like this, um, how do you think about it in terms of portfolio positioning? You mentioned last time that you've got a hard cap of 15 positions in the portfolio. How large of a position would this generally start out for you? Well, um, when we initiate a position, we recognise that we don't know as much as we'd like to know, even if we've been covering the stock for a long time. So ordinarily, I'd start in our portfolio at about a 4% weight, uh, ordinarily, and then they may you know, build up like Accenture has to be much larger, closer to that 10%, or they may stay around that 4 to 5%. Uh, if we feel like, as is the case in Jack Henry, here's a business that we're very confident will continue to become more valuable over time. But at today's prices, uh, it's around fairly valued. And so when we think about that 8 to 12%, we're getting the, the wealth creation part, um, but there's a much smaller contribution to be expected from the, the revaluation part. And so that's, that's the position sizing, if you like. Um, like I think the, the, the business gets just to, I guess, take it in a different direction. It gets us excited that while people, there's a lot of uh, well-known tech businesses that people read about pretty much every time they pick up a paper. Uh, here's one that has you know, so many interesting attributes. It's been around a long time. It's very, very profitable. Uh, it's growing fast. There's a big market for them to continue to grow into. Um, it's... You know, but it's, it, um, it doesn't sell things to people, it sells things to banks, and so you don't read about it as much. Um, but it's a, such an interesting tech business in an era where people are getting so excited about technology, um, but it's one that's just nowhere near the, the front pages and the radar in the same way that you know, some of the more famous ones are. Well, not yet, Stephen. So maybe, maybe in, in time, we'll, we'll, we'll wait to see. Maybe when this podcast goes live. Stephen, as always, thank you for taking the time out to, to join me on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Owen. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.